other big news in the U.S. these days is what we can glean about something called the Trans-Pacific Partnership. What can you tell us about this trade deal that's being described as NAFTA on steroids? Well, actually, I can't tell you very much because it's being kept secret. Uh, not entirely secret. Uh, major corporations are part of the process. They know what's going on. Uh, uh, the public is kept almost entirely out. Uh, probably there's some selected elements of Congress that are allowed to know a bit, but it's, uh, it's essentially an executive agreement jointly with multinational corporations. We can imagine what it's like, and there's leaks here and there. It uh, appears to be uh, basically within the kind of framework of the World Trade Organization and NAFTA rules. These things are called free trade agreements. They're not. They're, uh, for one thing, oh, a lot of what uh, they're involved with doesn't even isn't even trade. It's just called trade to sneak it into the uh, these agreements. So uh, a good deal of NAFTA and the World Trade Organization rules are uh, investor rights uh, provisions. That has nothing to do with trade. It's called you know trade related uh, uh, investment mechanisms or something. A lot of it is pure protectionism. Uh, very high uh, protectionist. Uh, uh, elements it's obviously undermines free trade for the benefit of pharmaceutical corporations, uh, uh, the, the, you know, Disney and others. It's uh, uh, just to try to protect their exorbitant profits and harm the population. These are uh, patent rules so high that if they had existed in the 19th century and been enforced, the U.S. would be an agricultural producer today. Could never have developed. Uh, nor could any other country. In fact, England couldn't have developed because it was violating what we now call piracy is the way the rich countries developed. Now they, there's a phrase for it in trade theory, it's called kicking away the ladder. First you violate all the rules, market rules, and then by the time you've succeeded in developing, you kick away the ladder so others can't do it too, and you prate about free trade. Uh, the pharmaceutical corporations, for example, claim that they need these exorbitant profits for research and development, but it's been shown pretty well, particularly by economist Dean Baker and a couple of others, that, uh, that most of their serious research, the hard research, is done in the public sector anyway. And if it was all done in the public sector and they were forced onto the market, that'd be a huge saving to com consumers, but of course, uh, reduction in profits. And that's the kind of thing that's going on. And what happens to all worker rights and, well, labor rights and environmental protections such as they are in deals like this? What do we know from NAFTA about whether the standards of all the countries involved, and we're talking about 17 countries in the Pacific Rim, including Vietnam, whether they rise up or, or trickle down? Labor rights don't exist. In fact, uh, NAFTA is a good case. It's been studied quite well. The, it's one of those rare trade agreements where the uh, working class and the peasants and farmers and all three countries suffered uh, a lot of profits. But uh, one of the reasons for uh, NAFTA, for example, is uh, uh, take the Mexican, uh, there's, a, there's supposedly an immigration crisis in the United States. Why? Why are people fleeing to the United States? 
Well, some are actually still fleeing from the ravages of Reagan's wars in the 1980s and Guatemalan highlands and so on. But plenty are coming from Mexico. Uh, the Mexican-U.S. border used to be an open border, pretty open border. And pretty much the same people live on both sides, like most borders. It was established by conquest, in fact, a very uh, aggressive war. The U.S. conquered half of Mexico. Uh, in 1994, Clinton started militarizing the border. Uh, 1994 is the year when NAFTA was pushed through. We don't have internal documents, so you have to speculate. But I think it's likely that the Clinton administration understood that uh, NAFTA was going to undermine Mexican farming. Uh, Mexican campesinos are quite efficient, but they can't compete with highly subsidized the U.S. agribusiness. The U.S. doesn't observe the free trade principles. Those are for the weak. You know. So the agribusiness is highly subsidized and pours uh, products into Mexico, drives out Mexican farmers. Uh, maybe they try to go into the cities, not have jobs to support them, so they flee across the border. If that's what happened under NAFTA, what can we expect if the Trans-Pacific Partnership goes forward? Well probably on steroids, like the critics are saying. But we really can't be sure, because it is kept secret from the population, though not from the corporate sector, from which we can draw some plausible conclusions in any event. Uh, this is being rammed down the throats of the populations of the world by uh, uh, state corporate power acting in tandem, so we can make guesses as to what it's likely to be. Uh, quite apart from the record, we've seen what the others are. On another topic, security. We meet as um, the Obama administration is defending having uh, secured FISA court requests from internet corporations uh, to essentially seize not only telephone records, but email records, we don't even know what they've seized. They say it was important for fighting terrorism. Well, if, you know, if we had anything like a free press, uh, there would be headlines saying this is a bad joke. Uh, the Obama administration is dedicated to increasing terrorism. In fact, it's doing it all over the world. Uh, Obama's running the big, first of all, he's running the biggest terrorist operation in, that exists, maybe in history. Uh, the drone assassination campaigns, which are just part of it. There's special forces operations and so on. All of these operations are, for, they are terror operations. Why? Well, suppose that uh, you're walking down the street and you don't know whether uh, two minutes from now uh, the guy across the street and everything around him is going to be blown away by a sudden explosion run by somebody a couple of thousand miles away. You're terrorized. And in fact, villages, regions, countries are terrorized by these operations. And that has a reaction. People just don't say, fine, I'll, I don't mind if my cousin was murdered. Uh, they do mind. And they become what we call terrorists. Uh, the, uh, this is un completely understood from the highest level uh, that as you carry out these operations, you're generating terrorism. Uh, there are terrorist, first of all, they are terrorist operations and they're generating more terrorist operations. Sometimes it's almost surreal. Like, uh, take the marathon bombing, that's supposed to be the excuse for a lot of this stuff. 
a couple of days after the marathon bombings in Boston, uh, there was a drone strike in Yemen. Usually we don't know anything about these things, but this one happens to be known because there was a young man from the village that was attacked who was in the United States and by fortunate accident he was testifying before a Senate committee and he described what happened in his village. He said for years the jihadi groups in Yemen had been trying to get the villagers to be anti-American and they'd failed because the only thing they knew about America was what he was telling them and he kind of liked, liked it here, he was having a good time. So they were very pro-American. He said one drone attack turned them all into a fanatic anti-American, what we call anti-Americans, people who hate the country that's uh, just terrorizing them. Not surprised, that's just consider the way we react to, to acts of terror. Yeah, that's the way other people react to acts of terror. And uh, the Osama bin Laden case is quite dramatic. And for one thing, as we talked about, it's, it almost led to a nuclear war. Uh, the way they tracked bin Laden was by a fake vaccination campaign. Uh, they, uh, the US CIA was carrying out a pretend, pretended vaccination campaign in a town, Abbottabad, where they thought he was, in poor areas. Uh, that's a violation of principles that go back to the Hippocratic Oath. In the middle, they stopped it, which is another grotesque violation because they thought they'd found him somewhere else. Well, the, there's a lot of, uh, throughout much of the third world, there's a lot of f fear and concern when rich white people come around and start sticking things into your arm. And what are they up to? You know, sensible fear, actually. They have a history, after all. Okay, this showed that the fear was correct. Uh, one of the consequences right away was that attacks on there is a polio vaccination campaign underway in Pakistan. It's one of the last places in the world that has polio. It could be eradicated if it weren't for this kind of thing. Uh, there were attacks on polio workers, polio vaccination workers. By now the charges are credible that these rich white guys are, are just uh, trying to gather intelligence and undermine you and maybe send more drones to attack you. Uh, it was so severe that the UN had to pull out their vaccination teams. Uh, there are some estimates. Uh, one epidemiologist at Columbia, Les Roberts, has worked on these things, estimated that it may lead to uh, maybe 100,000 polio cases in Pakistan. And he made an interesting comment. He said, one of these days, uh, somebody in Pakistan is going to point to this child sitting in a wheelchair and say, you did it to him. And they'll react. So we're generating more of what we call terrorists. Uh, meanwhile, in the course of this terrorist generation campaign, for Obama to claim, you know, I'm really worried about terrorists, so I have to read your, you know, I have to claim they don't read it, I have to get information about your email, where you are, who you're talking to, uh, you know, what you have on Facebook, and I've got to put that on my big database. Actually, we're moving into a world uh, which was described pretty accurately, I think, by one of the founders of Google. I don't, I don't know if you followed the stories about Google Glass. Mm. Well, Google has some new FBI. ridiculous thing that uh, they make marketing glasses which have a small computer on them. So you can be on the internet 24 hours a day, just, just what you want. It's a, totally I mean, it's a way of destroying people. But quite apart from that, 
this little device has a camera and presumably if it doesn't already it'll soon have a recorder which means that everything that's going on around you goes up on the internet and uh, some reporter asked uh, Eric Schmidt didn't he think this was an invasion of privacy and his answer was exactly right comes right out of the Obama administration he said if you're doing anything that you don't want to be on the internet you shouldn't be doing it this is a dream that Orwell couldn't have concocted we're moving into it and it's not the only case if you read the technical journals there's more stuff coming along so for example there right now are corporations that are concerned about using computers with components made in China because it's technically possible to build into the hardware uh, devices which will record what the computer is doing and send it to those bad guys. Well, the articles don't point out that if the Chinese can do it, we can do it better and probably are. So it may end up in Obama's database the next time you hit the computer. So what, what do we do? I mean, there is right now a uh, rebellion happening in Turkey. I'd love your thoughts on that and the, the, the Gezi Square uh, well, situation. It's extremely important what's happening in Turkey. The, from, uh, the very brave people in Taksim Square, they're trying to protect the last remnant of the commons, you know, what's held in common, public spaces, protect it from the attacks of the wrecking block. Uh, gentrification, commercialization, uh, autocracy, it's destroyed. Uh, Turkey's a real treasure, Istanbul, you know, ancient treasure, it's being destroyed. And they're trying to protect the last piece of it, the last piece of the commons. Now that's very important for Turkey, which is accurate article this morning in the New York Times, I should say, which said that they're fighting for the soul of Turkey. Will it be control or will it be freedom? Uh, but it's more than that. Uh, this is the commons which is held together. Globally, we're destroying the commons. The, uh, you know, that, the, the environment, the atmosphere, what's held in common, it's being destroyed by the same wrecking ball, magnified. And uh, here we're back to Bolivia. There are various reactions. Uh, the rich and powerful countries are trying to wreck as much as possible. You know, go off the cliff as soon as you can, extract every drop of hydrocarbons out of the ground and destroy the environment. The, at the opposite extreme, countries like Bolivia, Ecuador, uh, indigenous people around the world, and First Nations in Canada, you know, uh, so-called Adivasis, tribal people in India, uh, campesinos in Colombia, they're trying to retard it, to try to save the commons. And uh, I think you can look at Taksim Square as kind of a microcosm of uh, development of the much broader issue. Uh, so it's an extremely important event and it's broader meaning as well. I learned from you that the commons are enshrined in an 800-year-old uh, piece of law, yeah. the Magna Carta. That's half of the Magna Carta, was protecting the commons from the king. Uh, the Robin Hood myths kind of uh, reflect that, you know, Robin Hood's protecting the forest from the predator. Uh, uh, the commons were the source of food, of wood, of sustenance, of welfare. I mean, you know, the image of a, 
a widow gleaning from the forest is a traditional image. That's the welfare system. It was nurtured. It was a common possession, so people took care of it. And uh, the half of Magna Carta is an effort to protect it from predatory state power. Well, over the next couple of centuries, Britain began to move towards uh, capitalism. Capitalism is based on the principle that everything has to be privately owned. It can't be held in common. There's even a dogma, which is today called tragedy of the commons, which holds that if things are held in common, they're going to be destroyed. If they're privatized, like you give them to, you know, Bechtel or uh, Monsanto or ExxonMobil, then they'll be preserved because that's the capitalist religion. It's exactly the opposite. The commons are being, and what's happening in England, the enclosure procedure, um, programs and others kind of destroyed the commons. In the United States it happened later. But, uh, and now it's happening in the world. Now, the last remnant of the commons is uh, the environment, which indigenous people who are still back 18, 800 years ago are trying to preserve and uh, we sophisticated rich people are trying to destroy. So what can we do to celebrate the 800 years? We can try to gain some of the sensibility of the indigenous populations of the world or our predecessors 800 years ago. Uh, we can laugh at them as being naive and unsophisticated, but unless we can gain that sensibility that there have to be rights of nature, as Bolivians and others put it, then we're, we're gonna be destroyed. Do you have a message for Bradley Manning? Bradley Manning is, uh, should be regarded as a hero. He's doing what an honest, decent citizen ought to be doing, uh, letting the population know what, your go what the people who rule you are doing. They want to keep it secret, of course. That's just like the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement, they don't want, or like Obama's programs. They don't want it, what they're doing known, uh, for good reasons. Uh, the public has a right to know what's being done to them by their so-called elected representatives. It's not really for all kinds of reasons, but, uh, and Bradley Manning's helping them do it. Um, there is a principle that he's violating, namely that power has to be protected from scrutiny. It's the principle of every dictatorship, of every autocracy. I can hear it from the high priests at Harvard in the government department. The power has to be kept secret, uh, otherwise it'll fade and won't work. But uh, Bradley Manning's violating that principle. Norm Chomsky, thanks so much for sitting in with us for just a little bit yeah. here at Red TV. Mm -hmm.